We're in Judges chapters 14 to 16 tonight. They're trying to put together 14 through to 16. When I say trying to put together, they do go together, but there's a lot to cover. We're going to give it a try. Now, children for generations have been into superheroes, haven't they? That's been the case across generations of children. Into superheroes, Spider-Man, Superman, Wonder Woman, heroes with extraordinary powers. Is Samson one of them? Was Samson a superhero? He's a bit like it, isn't he? But he isn't one. There's just so much wrong with him. Well, if he's not a superhero, is he an anti-hero? Anti-hero is a central character in a plot, but lacking good qualities. There, really, to show us a bad example. If Samson's not a superhero, is he an anti-hero? Well, no, he's not one of them either, because he was given by God. God doesn't give anti-heroes. Well, what was Samson? What do you make of Samson? I'm sure you've read about Samson before, most of you haven't you? What do you make of Samson? This is what surely we have to make of Samson. He's a curious mixture. He is a warning sign and a saviour. And he manages to be both. A curious mixture of a warning sign and a saviour. And that means he has many lessons for us. It makes him more interesting, doesn't it? And it actually gives us more lessons. Now, I want us to get those lessons this evening, but to get the lessons, we need to figure out how we learn from the Old Testament because we often find the Old Testament hard going and we can get wrong how we learn from it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's not a little introductory topic. That's a topic for several weeks, isn't it? How do you learn from the Old Testament? But here's a little guide to how we learn from the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10. I'm not actually going to read from it. You might want to turn to it, but I'm not going to read from it. I'm not going to point out particular verses, but... 1 Corinthians 10 is a great little guide to learning from the Old Testament. If you went to Sunday school, the Sunday school tendency is the Old Testament as a book of moral examples, which will get you into big trouble in judges. They're such a mixture. 1 Corinthians 10 says, no, the, the, the Old Testament isn't just a book of moral examples, it's a book of history. And 1 Corinthians 10 takes the Old Testament history as history. And it considers what was going on in God's plan then. And how does that compare with us now? So that's lesson number one in in the Old Testament. It's history. And we have to think, how does it compare with us now? And the main thing is we look back through the cross. But 1 Corinthians 10 then shows a second thing we need to take into account. That... The Old Testament isn't just history, it's history with lots of pictures, and particularly pictures of Jesus built in. So 1 Corinthians 10 says, that rock was Christ. It's the rock the Israelites drank from when they went through the wilderness. It says that rock was Christ. Well, the rock wasn't Christ, it was a rock. But it says, look, the Old Testament is full of pictures of Jesus, many symbols of him. So there's a second thing we have to take into account. And here's a third thing. 1 Corinthians 10 also says, don't overdo your reaction to Sunday school lessons. Because there are moral examples in the Old Testament. There are moral lessons. In fact, it says, these things happen to them as examples. It's talking about the Old Testament Israelites. 
And it takes what happened to them and it says to Christians today, they're examples. In fact, it says they're a warning to New Testament churches because we're not as different from them as we think. Jesus has changed a lot, but not everything. We still need the warnings. We still could fall if we don't take care. Take notice of the warnings. So did you get that three ways of applying the Old Testament? 1 Corinthians 10 is really good for showing us those three ways. It's history of God's plan. It's got pictures of Jesus. And there are moral lessons. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us the warnings here in the story of Samson are relevant to us. We can't just say, hey, we're New Testament people, we're all right, won't happen to us. No, 1 Corinthians 10 says the warnings are still relevant. So tonight is mainly about taking the warnings seriously about Samson. But there is also a note of encouragement because Samson is both a warning sign and a saviour. So... There is encouragement too. Now, for those who were here last week, I know this is different from what Seth said I would do, but you can't always be bound by the previous preacher and things don't always quite work out as you expect it. So, it's a little different. Tonight is in two parts. Most of it is, what was Samson doing? And then more briefly at the end, what was God doing? That's the plan tonight. What was Samson doing? Then more briefly, what was God doing? So first of all, what was Samson doing? Now Samson is a confusing mixture. And what I want to do is retell his story, or at least the central bit, and I want you to look out as I retell it for how he was used by God, but he was also into revenge, and he was also a man driven by his appetites. What a mixture. So I'm going to retell chapters 14 and 15, and as I do, I want you to look out for... How's he used by God? But he's also too much into revenge and he's a man of being driven by his appetites. Here we go, chapter 14. So chapter 13 has been the birth of Samson and it's told us God is raising him up as a saviour. He's God's man. And yet chapter 14, the first thing we find when he grows up is he goes to the Philistines and instead of defeating them, he sees a good-looking woman and thinks, I'll have her. And he says to his father, get her for me. His father says, no, no, no. He says, get her for me, she's right in my eyes. I like the look of her. Sounds like a very bad start, doesn't it? But, we're told, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. And so they go down to get this woman. On the way, a lion attacks Samson, but... Can anything good come from going to get this woman he's lusting after? Well, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he defeats the lion, as we heard last week, a little picture of what will happen, defeating the Philistines. Well, a while later, they go down for the wedding day. There is a wedding feast, which is probably quite a drinking party, I'm told. Probably quite a drinking party, this thing. And it's drinking party, he has a bet with the Philistines. He loses the bet. He owes the Philistines 30 sets of clothes. It is not sounding good, is it? For anyone, that's not a good start, let alone a Nazarite, a drinking party where you have a gamble and lose it. But what's the very next thing we read? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He kills 30 Philistines, 
pays off his bet, burning with anger, it says. He goes home, he's in a huff, doesn't want anything more to do with his wife. Well, he does want a bit, he does want something from his wife, actually. So a little while later, he goes back to her home and says, let me into her room, which is telling you what he wants out of her is not her cooking or her conversation, it's something else, you know what that is. He's a man of appetites. His father says, no, no, I've given her to someone else. What about her sister? She's even better looking. But he, Samson, is burning with anger and says, I'm going to get my revenge on these Philistines. Ties a burning torch to the tail of a whole load of foxes, burns down their crops. The Philistines think he burns our crops, we'll burn his wife and his father-in-law. Samson says, since they've acted like this, I'm not going to stop until I've got my revenge on them. And he viciously slaughters many. Well, the men of Judah say to Samson, what are you doing? Don't you know these Philistines rule over us? Come on, be more reasonable, man. And we're going to have to hand you over to them. And the men of Judah, they're much more peaceable than vicious old Samson. At least that's the 21st century UK reading of it. The right reading of it is, Samson is God's man doing God's work, while the men of Judah are a pathetic lot who just cave in to God's enemies. But Samson lets them tie him up, hand him over. The Philistines think it's wonderful, but what next? The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power, and he killed a thousand of them. Once he's finished killing a thousand of them, though, he says, oh, he's thirsty. And he cries out to the Lord, are you going to now let me die of thirst? He's a man of appetites. He's a man, he's a pretty emotional character too. Whether that's right or wrong, God provides water for him, revives him, and he leads the Israelites for 20 years. And that brings us to chapter 16. But before we get on to chapter 16, did you notice what a mixture he is? What a mixture. Used by God, empowered by the Spirit, unpredictable, revenge-driven, and controlled by his appetites. That makes him very relevant to us. Now, I hope you are not unpredictable, revenge-driven, and controlled by your appetites, but we are a mixture. You are a mixture. Because we live in what some people call the now, but not yet. Jesus has come, his kingdom has started, but it's not yet completed. Now, if you are in Christ, you have his spirit, but you're not yet rid of sin. And that makes you in some ways like Samson. I hope not completely like him, but in some ways like him. Because we've got God's spirit, a work has begun in us, but we're not yet rid of sin. Now, some people get this a bit wrong. They say, oh yes, as Christians we've got two natures, there's two rulers over us. No, that's not right. The Bible does not say that. If you're in Christ, the Bible says the old you has gone, the spirit is in control. But the old ruler sin, it's not in charge, but it's still around like a terrorist. It's like a government that's been thrown out, but its terrorists are still there trying to get back control. And so we are also a confusing mixture. Samson is very relevant to us. He's a confusing mixture, but next we have a clear distinction. 
clear distinction. While Samson's a confusing mixture, there is a clear distinction between him in chapters 14 and 15 and him in chapter 16. I'll try to show you the clear distinction. Chapters 14 to 15 are like this. They emphasise Samson having the Holy Spirit. Did you notice as I went through it, three times it told us about him having the Holy Spirit. Chapters 14 to 15 show Samson dependent on God. And those chapters climax with Samson crying to God in verse 18. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these uncircumcised? Now, I know I said, look at him, man of his appetites again. But to be fair, if you... Who here has killed a thousand people? And was it a thirsty work? I bet it was. Yeah? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was half dying of thirst. And, and the important point is this. He's crying to God. The strong man is weak. And he needs God and he knows it. And the other important point is this. God sustains him. Verse 19. Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. Notice that Samson has the spirit, he depends on God, it climaxes in crying to God because he knows he's weak and needs God and God provides. Now compare that with chapter 16, so different. I mean really verses 1 to 22. In chapter 16, there is nothing about the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16, there is nothing about Samson depending on God. I mean consciously depending on God. He comes across as totally self-confident. And this section climaxes with Samson not crying to God, but speaking to himself. Verse 20, 16 verse 20. He awoke from his sleep and thought... I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He speaks to himself in self-confidence. An expression of self-confidence. Before he cried to God and God sustained him. This time he thinks to himself, I'm okay. And what? God abandons him. Verse 20. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And so we get this terrible, sad ending to Samson. You know, as much as you might think, it's wonderful in some ways, but it's sad, isn't it? Sad ending. We've got, he's a confusing mixture, but there is a clear distinction here. Things in chapter 16 are quite different. And that leads to a crucial warning. What happened to Samson is a warning to us. 1 Corinthians 10 says you can't take what happened to Old Testament people and say, oh, it can't happen to me because I'm a New Testament believer. If you do, you're giving some evidence that you're not really a New Testament believer is the key to this. No, it's a warning to us. Let's try to get the warning this way. Is Samson in heaven now? What do you reckon? Do you reckon Samson is in heaven now? Yes, and I'm seeing some nods. Yes, what's your evidence? Thank you, Hebrews 11, because there he is as a hero of faith. And if he's a hero of faith, if he's a man of faith, then he's going to be in heaven, isn't he? 
Yeah, because we don't get to heaven by our works, we get there by faith in Christ. Or in his case, faith in God's whose promises were all pointing forward to Christ. He's in heaven. He's a child of God. Okay. Well, if he's a child of God and he's going to end up in heaven, when Samson was in Delilah's lap, could you say to Samson, there he is messing about with sin. Can you say to Samson, look, it would be better not to mess around with sin, but ultimately it doesn't matter because all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Be really better not to, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Can you say that to him? No, you can't, can you? You can't because look where his sin led him. Left by God. Weak. His enemies got hold of him. Now think of that. What had he done to these enemies? Killed a thousand at one go, thirty at another go, burnt down all their crops, which wasn't just an inconvenience. It probably resulted in some dying from hunger. And they get hold of him. They hadn't signed a vulnerable adults policy. They hadn't signed up to the Geneva Convention. Can you imagine what they do with him? Well, you don't have to imagine all of it, because it tells us they stick knives in his eyes and gouge them out. Put him in prison, chain him up, and like an animal, get him turning a mill wheel, millstone. And above all, there he is, with God far from him. He's in, to put it in one word, exile. He's a little picture of Israel in exile. Samuel, no, not Samuel, sorry, Samson. He's like Lot and David. Don't you get a surprise when you get to the New Testament and read that righteous man Lot? Because look at his life. What a wreckage he made, both for him and for others. Samson, like Lot and David, is a warning, even for the child of God. Our sin, our bad choices, can bring harm to us and to others. That's a harsh, a hard thing to say. It's a painful thing. But we've got to face it, it's there in the Bible. As sin can, even for the child of God, bring harm. There are popular evangelical leaders today who think they've rediscovered grace and they turn it into something like fighting sin is an optional extra in the Christian life. It will make you a better Christian, but whatever happens, you know, God's pleased with you, basically everything's okay. It's like an optional extra in the Christian life. Now, when you buy a car, air conditioning, what's that? It's an optional extra, isn't it? Cruise control, that's nice to have, once you can get used to it. But it's an optional extra, isn't it? Your car is still a car and will work without it. Wheels and an engine, they're not optional extras, are they? And fighting sin is not an optional extra. It's essential. Now, this warning isn't just individual. It's also for churches. Go right to the end of the Bible. Think of Jesus in Revelation writing to those churches. And he says to them, don't tolerate false teaching. Put those who refuse to repent out of the church. Recover your first love or I will leave you. And it happens to churches, doesn't it? Sadly, it happened to them. They must have failed to do what Jesus said because you look down history and Jesus did leave them. Churches can go into exile, especially self-confident ones. That's something we need to hear at Hollywell. 
Now, we can be more specific about the warnings. I've given that Samson is a general warning, but we can be more specific about the warnings. Let's think again about Samson. Back in chapter 14, Samson gave a riddle and he made a bet and his wife got the answer out of him. Do you remember that? His wife got the answer out of him and then passed it on to his enemies, so he lost the bet. Chapter 16 is just the same, isn't it? In chapter 16... Delilah asks him the secret of his strength and she passes it on to his enemies. Now he gets away with it because he lied to her. But then she goes and asks him again and passes it on to his enemies. And again and again. What do you think of Samson? How many times is that? One, two, three, four. Four times exactly the same thing. What do you think of it? No, it's five actually. Don't you think, idiots, he's an idiot, isn't he? They keep on falling for the same thing. And how can he, once he gets to the last one and tells her the truth, ever think she's not going to go and tell them? Don't you think, what an idiot you are, Samson? Have you ever sinned and thought, how could I do that? And then you do it again. And you think, I'll never do that again. And you do it again. Yeah, am I the only one? I doubt it, am I? I know I'm not. Yeah? Aren't you and I sometimes like Samson? But it's so dangerous. That's what chapter 16 is telling us. It isn't saying, oh, come on, we're all a bit like Samson, not to worry. It's saying it's so dangerous. And notice how it's progressive. Chapter 16, first of all, it's bowstrings or thongs. And then it's, well, I got away with them, let's try something more. It's ropes. And then it is, weave his hair into the loom. Now that's getting a little close to the mark. And then it's cut his hair off. You see, sin can be progressive and addictive and lead us into exile. Haven't many people found that? The porn viewer who thought he could get away with a little, but it's progressed in ways he could never have imagined and become so addictive and led him into some sort of exile. Lust and its associated actions. Greed of all sorts for money, for drink, for food. We make a joke of that one, but it's not a joke. Laziness. I think there can be an addictive element in laziness that can get a hold of us. And all of our good intentions go out of the window and we lead an unfruitful life. I think there's specific warnings here about the progressive and addictive nature that some sins can take. Here's another more particular warning. The particular danger of being controlled by your appetites. Chapter 16 has this pattern of self-confidence and losing God's presence. But it's noteworthy that it happened to a man who let his appetites take control. There's a very important verse in 1 Peter I'll read to you. It's 2 verse 11. It says... Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. It doesn't just say from sins, from sinful desires which war against your soul. Samson gave in to his sinful desires and they warred against his soul. And for quite a long while he lost the war. Letting your appetite take control will damage your faith. Because you end up persuading yourself God doesn't matter that much. Oh, this, this can't be compatible with God, but I won't need him tomorrow. I'll be all right. 
wars against your soul. And here's a third particular warning. The danger of presuming on God's patience and his grace. Samson had played with sin many times, hadn't he? And he got away with it each time. Yeah, he played with sin with this Philistine woman, with this prostitute, and then with Delilah several times, and he got away with it again and again and again. And he probably thought he'll get away with it again. God had been very gracious to him and still helped him, but it came and he thought it would all be okay. But, chapter 16, verse 22, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Every time you sin and you think, well, it's been okay many times before, it will be okay this time. I've got away with it many times before, it will be okay again. Remind yourself of Judges 16, verse 20. Samson thought, it'll be just the same as before, and it wasn't. God is very patient and very gracious, but there comes a time when he teaches you the hard way. Don't get to that time, because it is a very hard way. Don't test it out. Well, Samson is a warning that Christian life isn't a game. Fighting sin isn't like air conditioning in your car. It's not an optional extra. It's essential. That's what was Samson doing. Now, more briefly, what God was doing. We must finish with what God was doing because the main character of these chapters, just as the whole Bible, is not Samson, but God. Let's not get too focused on Samson and forget that God had a plan. What was God up to? Well, this is what God was doing. He was saving through the Saviour. This was God's plan. We were told that right back in chapter 13, verse 5. The angel, who turns out actually to be the angel of the Lord, who turns out to be the Lord himself, says, this boy Samson is going to be the one who begins the deliverance or the saving of Israel. He's going to begin to save Israel. And that's what we find God doing in these chapters. In fact, the chapters have a continual pattern of the Philistines think they've solved the problem and maintained their power over Israel and then they only, only to find God comes in through Samson and wrecks their solution. I'll point out some examples. Chapter 14, they solve his riddle. Phew, Philistines have solved it. Only to find they're slaughtered by spirit-empowered Samson. Chapter 15, Samson has gone back home, left them alone. Good, peace restored. Only to find their crops are burnt to ashes. Next solution is, well, the men of Judah. Um, Well, it's not the next, I missed out one for sake of time. The men of Judah bind Samson, hand him over to his enemies, and you can imagine them, can't you? (laughs) Full of glee. Here we've got him tied with ropes. Only to find... Spirit-empowered Samson kills a thousand of them with a donkey's jaw. Chapter 16, they've got him in the prostitute's house. Ah, they're bound to kill him now, aren't they, after a night with the prostitute? But he walks off with the city gates. And then the ultimate one at the end of chapter 16, blind Samson is their prisoner as they worship their God who's delivered their enemy into their hands. But, you find 
the Lord returns to Samson and he brings the house down on the lot of them. Now, it's bloodthirsty stuff. It's tragic. But there's also humour here. We're supposed to see it's tragic, but we're also supposed to see there is some humour here in this. It's Psalm 2-style humour. As the Lord laughs at and defeats anyone who thinks they can get round him. And so he delivers and saves his people. Now, that should bring us reassurance. That should bring you, if you're a child of God, reassurance. God, through Samson, was saving his people. That's reassurance for us because we have a better version of Samson. We have a better version of Samson, whose birth was like Samson, announced by an angel who said he's coming to save, who was conceived miraculously, like Samson, who was devoted to God even from the womb, like Samson, who did miraculous feats, like Samson, but who, unlike Samson, kept himself from sin. And yet, like Samson, he was rejected by his own men, he was betrayed by a close friend for money, he was blinded by soldiers and then mocked, and he died with his arms outstretched and achieved a greater victory as he died like that than anything he'd done in his life. Samson's such a great picture of Christ. And so we can be reassured that through this judge and saviour, our judge and saviour, God is working out his plan. Just like back then. He's building his kingdom. He's defeating his enemies. He's saving his people, even though this world looks rather like the book of Judges, doesn't it? Chaos and sin. And even though people like the Philistines seem to be in control, we've got a better than Samson so we can be reassured. And this saviour is why we can be, well, maybe can be reassured is the wrong word, it puts the wrong emphasis, why there is hope if you are like or have been like Samson in verse 23 onwards. Chapter 16, verse 23 onwards, Samson is like Israel in exile, But like Israel in exile, there was still mercy for the repentant. This is really important, because I tried to emphasise the warnings. But we must notice, Samson is a picture of Israel in exile. And like them, for him, there was mercy for the repentant. He cried out to God, remember me, and the Lord remembered him, was with him, heard his prayer, and used him for his glory and gave him victory. And we have a greater saviour than Samson was. And so we can have the same hope. You are not trapped by your past. God is always ready to hear the repentant, whatever has gone on in the past. If you are repentant now, he is ready to hear you and to be with you and to use you for for his glory. 1 John 1, if we now walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. They are not held against us. If we're now walking in the light, whatever happened in the past. But we must now walk in the light. In other words, be repentant. Samson's a saviour and a picture of a better saviour, so there's reassurance for us here. But... What God was doing also brings warning. I'm going to end on a warning note, actually. 
There's humour in these chapters. I hope you picked up the humour. Uh, the Philistines think they've dealt with Samson and then he uses foxes to burn down their crops and it's kind of funny. And the Philistines are delighted to have him handed over to them and then he gets a jawbone of a donkey and kills them and says, I've made an ass with them with an ass's jawbone. It's kind of funny. And as they laugh at their blind slave and he brings the house down on them, that's kind of funny, at least for Israelites, not for Philistines. But the humour has a serious point. And the serious point is this. However much God's enemies look in control, their plans... As much, however much they have their plans against him, however much they resist his word, God will win. They will be destroyed. And that gives one last warning. It's this. We've been thinking about Samson. But if you are not bowing to Jesus, you are not like Samson. You are like the Philistines. If you are resisting God, you are not like Samson. One final victory. No, you're like the Philistines. One final total destruction ahead. These chapters warn you, you cannot win against God. God will destroy you. One day you won't be able to avoid him. Either Jesus will return first or you'll die first. But one way or the other, you'll meet God, answer to him, and it will be outer darkness forever. So stop ignoring his words. Stop turning your back on Jesus, the greater saviour. Turn to him and ask for his mercy. And he's very ready to give it.